the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And, um, well, we've got some big news, don't we? The big news all over the place is that Hunter Biden has um, pled guilty uh, to, I guess, is it two misdemeanors, two misdemeanor counts of um, of. Uh, Let me get it exactly right for you. Hunter Biden will plead guilty in a deal, the deal that will likely avert time behind bars. So it's taxes. The first part is taxes. He will plead guilty to misdemeanor charges as to taxes. And then um, there is a separate charge that has to do with guns, illegal gun use. Um, It's a felony and they're going to make it. I don't know. They're going to make it um, uh, a light charge and he's likely not to get any jail time now there's lots of people commenting on this let me let me join the chorus and say simply this let me let me tell a story and see if i can get this around Uh, and welcome again it's ed martin here on the pro america report please visit proamericareport.com proamericareport.com and sign up there now see if you can follow this i've been thinking about it for a while because i'm not that angry about what happened with hunter biden but i do think it's worth noting how Corrupt, and with a small c, I mean corrupt, how broken the system is. It operates in favor of one set of people and and not another. And that is a failure. Now, I'm not that upset about the the time. I mean, is Hunter Biden, uh, is a good use of our resource for him to go to jail? Probably not. Um, But let me walk you through this and see um, what you uh, think of this um, logic, this thinking. When I was a boy, when I was growing up, my father, I remember him vividly teaching us about what would happen if you ever pulled over while you were driving your car. So as I was getting my driver's license, which, as I recall, I got when I was 17, you know, my son, daughter, they got theirs when they were 16 and a half or something. So it's a little different age wise. But I believe I was 17 when I received my license. And my father said, look, you know, don't speed, uh, don't drive dangerously. But, you know, at some point you're going to be pulled over by a policeman. And when you do, here's some steps you should take. And one of them was you turn the light on in the interior of the car. You put your hands on top of the wheel so your hands are in view. You don't go looking for your insurance card in the glove compartment. You don't go trying to find your wallet in your pants. You stand still until the, the cop comes over to the window when he rolls. And then you and you roll down the window right away. Uh, early in my career, my first car had a cranking window, you know, it wasn't electric, but nowadays you hit the button window goes down. So you got the window open hands on top of the wheel light in, in inside the car is on officer comes up and you say, sir, you know, our uh, ma'am, uh, I'm not sure what I did, uh, but I, you know, I have my driver's license in my back pocket or whatever, and they will take over. They'll be so relieved, my father said, that you know how to be uh, interacting, that it will go better for you. He didn't say you would always get away with whatever you were doing, but he said it will go better for you. And over my long life, having been stopped by the, the police, I don't know, a dozen times, could be more, could be less. 
I, I probably got no got just a warning at least half the time. And I got to think it helps to know how to deal with someone in law enforcement. Now, my father was a small town prosecutor, later a small town judge, you know, not not a not a full time job, not something you were elected to, but just a local, you know, help with traffic tickets and help with uh, and then later be the judge in municipal court. And so sometimes I would say, um, hey, my dad is a prosecutor or something, and that might help. But usually it was based just on that interaction that they were not going to have much trouble. I, I didn't have a big PBA card. I didn't have a shield in the window. I, you know, I wasn't actually law enforcement, so I wasn't going to overplay it. Here's my point. It pays to know how to operate in a system where you're in trouble. And so it goes that you can say, well, in the, in the case of Hunter Biden, he has been brought up. And he's a lawyer, but he's been brought up to understand how to interact with the system because his father was in the system as a senator for 35 or 40 years or whatever, as a a vice president for eight years and now as president for a couple of years. And so they know the system. They know how to communicate. They know how to make it work for themselves. And so part of me says that's what this is. Okay, we screwed up during a period of drug use and and debauchery. Um, I screwed up royally. I'm Hunter Biden. And here's what what can I do? And knowing how this is knowing who to hire and how the system works seems to me to be uh, not unexpected. So to be expected and is the result the worst thing ever? Probably not. And having said all that, the understanding that Hunter Biden was coached and managed and hired the right people to make the system work. What you look around and say is more and more, you're not eligible. I'm not eligible on, uh, to, to interact with the system in a way that's positive for us. In other words, you can't be someone you can't get a, your dad can't help you understand how to act when you get pulled over a ticket and your you know dad or husband or wife or whatever can't explain to you how to interact with DOJ because you're not eligible for that. In other words, you, you're you're frankly targeted. If you're not within the power structure, Hillary Clinton, uh, Hunter Biden, Bill Clinton, uh, uh, even um, uh, John Edwards, by the way, John, Senator Edwards, remember, ran for president, almost won. He got sort of I think he got outside of his uh, got outside of the the norms of what they allowed, how hard he almost played it and almost won. And he got dinged. Now, ultimately, he got off of the charges, but I think he was convicted at first and then thrown out. But anyway. The system is, in fact, breaking down because of this aspect, whether it's true or not, I'm not sure whether the following sentence is true or not. I'm not sure. And the sentence is this today. It's worse than it's ever been in terms of the connected using power to help themselves and punish others. Maybe in the past it was just as bad, but here's the wrinkle. We didn't know it. And now it's blatantly in our face, in our faces. It's blatantly clear that it doesn't matter if you're honorable. It doesn't matter if you work hard. It doesn't matter if you play by the rules. None of that matters unless you're connected. And if you're connected, you're protected. The connected are protected and they'll get the sweetheart deal. So if you're Joe Biden's kid, you'll get the deal. And if you're Donald Trump or Donald Trump's aide, or Donald Trump's lawyer, or Donald Trump's friends, you're going to get the hammer. 
You are going to get the hammer because of that. And what, again, back to my point, I'm not sure it's true that it's worse today than it ever was. I, I don't know because it can't go back in time. I can only say it's really rotten that the connected get protected. It's really rotten. And it's rotten that it's flaunted into in the face of the public. They're not even trying to hide it. They're not embarrassed. They're not sh- ashamed. They're not scandalized. They're just entitled. So the connected are protected and the entitled are unembarrassed, un, unwavering. They, they're just going to do it and they're going to look at you and they're going to say, well, what's, why are, what are you looking at? What are you looking at, pal? Get back to work. Get back to your space. That's the biggest difference. Honestly, I don't, I, I got to think, you know, under FDR, Teddy Roosevelt, under, I don't know who, Abe Lincoln, were the friends of Lincoln getting a better deal? Was it possible that the attorney general under Abe, Abe Lincoln was being nicer to people that were serving in the legislature, in the, in the Congress, their kids? Maybe, probably, human nature being what it is. But two things, again, two things. It's outrageous how scandalous the Biden family seems. Again, not proven in court yet, but proven in lots of other ways. And then it's incredible how blatantly, how publicly, how clearly, again, as I said, unashamed, unabashed, not embarrassed. They just go ahead and do this. So Donald Trump, you're going to get run around the country, New York, uh, Florida. There'll be a D.C. soon. There'll be Georgia indicted in every place because we don't like you. And Hunter Biden, you get a deal. You're going to get a deal. Really good deal. And again, I'm not sure a guy like Hunter Biden should go to jail. I I don't really I'm not someone saying, oh, go to jail just for the heck of it. I mean, you or me probably would. Or we'd be in a lot more trouble. The January 6th guys are rotten in jail now and a lot less than what Hunter Biden did. I I mean, here's my thing. I'd I'd free all the January 6th guys that are still in jail waiting trial. Let them be home while they're in trial, waiting for trial. And and if you agree not to let Hunter Biden go uh, to jail, I'm, I'm okay with that. I think, sort of, not really. Just trying to justify it. But what's outrageous, outrageous, and what you need to know is the public sees the double standard and they don't recognize American values that the double standard exists and may have existed in history. I, I don't dispute human nature being what it is that it's so blatantly in the face of we, the people that's bad. It's bad for the country. It's bad for the country. All right. That's what you need to know. We will be back in a moment. Uh, we've got John Zadrosny today over from America first legal and a lot more. Be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I was uh, over the weekend, I was telling one of my um, one of my family, I was at a family reunion and I was explaining to them about the work of America First Legal, AFlegal.org, um, and how they were in the fray in lots of ways. And I think, and John Zadrozny is our guest, uh, Deputy Director of Investigations. I think I got that right, John. Correct me if I got it wrong. But um, I think Stephen Miller, who is, is the head of the organization, was quoted as saying, we're going to be like the ACLU should be in terms of fighting for the America First agenda, which is a great simplifier 
Um, so, John, welcome back, uh, uh, first of all, to the program. And um, tell our folks, because I'm going to send this as a standalone link to those couple of my family members and make sure they listen. Give everybody a thumbnail. What is America First Legal? Who works there? How does it how does it operate? A little bit of the inside scoop, please. Uh, hey, Ed, thanks for having me on, as always. Yeah, uh, you know, America First Legal, uh, I am proud to work for it. And it is uh, pretty much as Stephen said in that quote that you mentioned, we, we are basically trying to be the conservative movement's ACLU because the reality is there just has not been that presence on the right in terms of a vehicle for litigation that takes things to court and fights like a dog. There have been a lot of groups historically over the years that have engaged in litigation, but respectfully to them, they're very selective and they're not as uh, voluminous, I guess, as you could say we are. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have tried to be aggressive and we've got a great team of attorneys and support staff. And uh, the two people who are out front for the organization, you already mentioned Stephen. And then uh, we've got Gene Hamilton, who's our uh, vice president and general counsel, um, both of whom are in the administration. Several people on our team were from the administration also. So we've got sort of that inside perspective of what government can and cannot do and what they're saying and what they're doing. So, as a group, we're, we're kicking butt and taking names. We're having a great time. And our philosophy is uh, be small, but be fast and do a lot. And uh, we are trying <laughs> to stick to that every day. And I think we're doing a lot more than a lot of other groups that have been around for a really long time. I think that's for that. That's true. That was a very, very uh, wonderfully veiled uh, criticism. I'm not going to try to draw you into it, John, of other organizations that have been around a long time that aren't doing as much. And I should point out, John Zadrozny is an attorney himself, a former prosecutor, so he knows what for he's talking about. You know, John, I noticed in there, it's it's a couple months ago now, but I noticed uh, one of the things that that the the America First Legal has a focus on, and I think it's uh, Center for Legal Equality. That's what you guys have a center there saying, hey, and you've actually been filing complaints. I, the one I'm look, looking at right now is against Mars, uh, the, the candy bar company. Um, and, and it's to the EEOC saying, hey, wait a second, what's the discrimination actually going on? What What is happening here? Um, this is tricky in the sense that, it's happening all over the place. And your guy's point is, hey, stop this. But the media tries to make it sound like uh, somehow, you know, you're you're on one side or the other. You're actually on make it fair like it's supposed to be. Tell me about some of these complaints and what you're seeing and why it's so important. And the way you summed it up is perfect. We are actually just trying to make sure that fairness actually occurs and that the law is followed. Um, we uh, So Stephen and Gene set up the Center for Legal Equality, I guess about I'm actually not 100 percent sure, but a while ago, it feels like feels like yesterday, but it wasn't. Uh, and the goal was basically to have a vehicle for the American people to reach out to us uh, whenever they run across a situation, either in their workplace or their community, maybe in their local or state government, where they see a problem in terms of the government or the company not engaging uh, the way they should be, not engaging in fairness, not following the law, violating civil rights laws actually is a sharper way to put it. And uh, as a result of uh, the Center for Legal Equality, we've gotten quite a few people reaching out to us saying, hey, uh, there's this thing happening at my job and it's awful and it's this, or uh, basically people reporting on what they're seeing. Not all those cases are viable. Some of them are too old. Some of them are non, uh, not specific enough to action, uh, but uh, some of them are. And uh, whenever we've run across something where we found enough material, uh, we've done something about it. The, the main thing we've done with Mars, for example, and a few other uh, companies uh, is we've filed uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission complaints. Right. Because these companies are – basically the left has destroyed America to the point where companies are pounding their chest with pride about how they're breaking federal law. 
and discriminating against Americans. And so whenever we find an occasion where that's the case, and we've got some good intel, we'll take it to the EEOC. And that doesn't preclude other litigation, depending on uh, whether or not people's individual rights have been violated. Uh, the bottom line is these companies think they can they can kneel to the left and the woke crowd, but actually violate the law with impunity. And we're not going to let that happen. Uh, America vs. Legal, uh, again, and this is on the website. You can click through to the Center for Legal Equality. And so it's aflegal.org. The thing that's interesting and important about this, there's a digital hotline. So you click on that button down the bottom and you can put in, you know, your, 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 if your experience of diversity, equity, inclusion, this DEI thing is uh, is disruptive and, and doesn't seem fair. There's a way to at least, uh, as you say, to start the process, say, hey, what's going on here? Um, is it, John, in your experience, again, what, now I'm pulling you back a little bit as a prosecutor. And you're watching what's happening on the landscape uh, of America. Um, I, I was talking to Mike Davis, you know, the uh, attorney who did a lot of has done a lot of federal stuff. But I know you were in the state, uh, state and local level prosecuting in your career. It, you know, there's always something called prosecutorial discretion. And it, it could even be that the prosecutor knows that in this situation, let's, you know, um, let's plea, uh, make a plea agreement this way or not charge somebody. But it, it doesn't feel it, it didn't before now feel so blatantly unfair. How, how do you, as a guy who loves the law and loves the system, how do you assess how unfair it seems now, how uneven it seems? I agree with your read, Ed. It's really unfortunate because I think there was a point in time that even in the past, um, regardless of whether you know had an elected Republican or Democrat as the local district attorney or state's attorney, you felt like the, the law was followed. I, I had the, actually the privilege of being uh, tutored under, uh, uh, I didn't work closely with him, but uh, Robert Morgenthau, the late Robert Morgenthau, who was the uh, district attorney for New York County, the Manhattan DA, for basically 40 years. And he was a legend, and he was a hard worker, and he put dangerous people in prison, and he hired people who put dangerous people in prison. And that's how it used to work. I feel like what's happening now, for, for better or for worse, is that whenever you elect a, a lefty Soros-funded prosecutor, what you're getting is someone who is basically their life is about um, unleashing the stench of crime as much as they possibly can on society for some sort of equitable reason. In their mind, they think that, well, well, there are wrongs here and this person is a three time murderer. But you know what? They probably had a tough childhood and we're just not going to prosecute. them. And it does seem like not only are they not prosecuting the basic meat and potatoes, law and order, broken windows style prosecuting that we that actually keeps society safe. They've turned their weapons on political opponents. So, like, not only are they not doing the basic uh, policing and protecting of the citizenry from keeping them safe from violent crime, et cetera, they are using what limited resources they have to go after people they don't like or don't agree with politically. And th th to me, that's that's just this is, uh, you know, we're a few minutes shy of midnight in terms of the end of the republic because we can't have that. That was just something we all assumed would always be the case. Right. And I think what, it, you know, this is this could apply to any issue, Ed. It could apply to school boards. It could apply to prosecutors' races. It could apply to anything in anyone's communities. I think the right has been asleep for a long time. I think we've just assumed that things at the local level or the state level would be okay if we just went about our lives. And what we found out the hard way is that the left just never stops marching. It never stops destroying. It never stops attacking your freedoms. It never sleeps. And so uh, as a result, conservatives have to stop sleeping. We have to wake up 
and start fighting these things locally every day also, or we're going to get run out of town in a lot of different ways. Well, and this is, um, we're talking with John Zadrozny from America First Legal, aflegal.org. Yeah, check it out. Um, last comment for you to react to is, um, you mentioned the left. They do this all the time. They stand up groups all the time. 65 committee was started in December, no, January of 2021 to target all the lawyers, lawyers who were helping clients uh, protest against the elections. And they said, you know, the, the, the millions of dollars went pouring in. 65 was the number of lawyers. They said, let's go file bar complaints. Let's go file ethics complaints. Let's go raise the cost of them being in this fray. And if you think it's either somewhere between a fray and a war, the other side is making it very uh, difficult and expensive and costly and damaging to be on the field of battle. And a lot of our people are stepping back. And and meanwhile, and I think this is where I think uh, Miller and, and you guys had a vision uh, to do this to say, hey, we're going to make sure people are engage- paying a price um, for be- coming after us because we realize that's what it is. So I just got 30 seconds, uh, John, but that's that, that's how I see this so the fight we're into. Yeah, Ed, we can't step back. We have to run forward. That's uh, just the, the case. You will never win if you retreat. The left will never let you live in your own little space. It will never leave you alone. And I think conservatives really have to do that. They, the 65 Project you pointed out is a great example. We used to embrace the idea that lawyers could accept cases regardless of the merits of their client. In other words, they could. everyone deserves fair representation. The left is assaulting that, too. And their goal is to discourage us all from fighting. But, again, cannot step back, must step forward. And I'm proud to be with America First Legal, which is definitely stepping forward, if not running forward. So we're having yeah. a great time. John Zadrozny, appreciate it. We see that. Thank you for uh, jumping on with us to give us an update. We, as I said, I had to explain to my uh, my relatives at this uh, at this uh, uh, at this family reunion. So now I got it. Uh, John Zadrozny, everybody, and I will put up on uh, social media links to uh, their sites. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back, Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Um. You know, I I wanted to come around, a circle around to a pet uh, theory of mine and discuss it with you. I've had some feedback from all of you. So um, welcome back to the Pro-America Report. Of course, go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up there uh, for the daily email. Um, Longtime listeners may remember that I have been expounding a theory uh, call it the single term theory, the single term theory of um, the uh, presidency. My idea is my my assertion is that in the modern era, the current era we're in, forget about modern, the term in this t- times we're living in right now, 2023, the likelihood of a president serving two terms is very low and getting lower every day. And my reason for this is that I believe that the scrutiny, the attention that you get and the way you are criticized, the way your life is managed, your decisions are understood, it is so significantly um, so closely watched that it makes it almost impossible to uh, to find to to succeed for a second term. And so much so that my theory is that you are actually um, the product uh, by necessity, the model, the business model of the um, of the media requires the destruction of candidates, um, you know, requires the constant crises uh, and crisis of things. So that's what you're going to get. And so you can say, as I've often said, that the Klieg lights will will be too bright, right? That they will 
will be so bright um, that you won't be able to uh, to escape them. And therefore, they will be and they will be designed in such a way to show scandal, right, to show crisis, to show problems, not just successes. That's my theory. And it, it is one of the reasons why I used to argue that it wasn't Trump derangement syndrome that was such a problem. It was Trump exhaustion syndrome because you just got tired of all the drama and the drama was primarily managed by the media, not by anything that, you know, uh, anyone was doing right. It was not managed by the specifics. It was managed by the media, they, what they covered and how they covered it. So that's my theory. I think Joe Biden is living through that now. Joe Biden is in a situation where people cannot stand and cannot even imagine continuing and having a Joe Biden for another four years within his own primary, within his own Democrat primary. People are like ready to move on there by huge numbers. And then I think when the general election comes around, same thing. So that's my theory, which brings us to this point. Could it be and have we ever had a candidate for the highest office where they basically said, I know it's going to be unlikely that there's a second term. Therefore, I'm going to go for it on the first term. It's hard to picture, isn't it? It's hard to picture that that could happen because most of the people that come to these jobs are coming at least uh, uh, coming to the job from the system of elected officials. Even if you're like a, a guy like Glenn Youngkin, who was a uh, a businessman, not a politician, then he runs for governor. He's coming from governor to run for president. If he ran for president, right. Or, or any pick a pick a top It's very uncommon to come totally outside of, uh, of the world of politics. Trump did it. Uh, ben Carson tried to do it. Mike Huckabee tried to do it. You know, there are people that try to do it. Military guys uh, uh, try to do it. Uh, but usually it's someone who's coming out of the political system, which brings me to the next point. If it were true, if you could get a candidate that was running that would say, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing and I really am going to do the right thing, which means I'm I'm, I'm going to do so many of the right things. It's going to make it impossible for me to win reelection. I think people would like that. It's how RFK Jr. feels. I don't know if he really is making an argument for long term service. He's saying, I'm going to go in and actually go, go after the people that killed my uncle, killed my dad, who he believes, who lied to us about the the uh, uh, covid and the Wuhan virus. And then that brings me over to Trump. At this point, if you know you get one term of Trump, he can't serve. He's barred from serving another term. And you know that he wants to, you know, <laughs> go and appoint a special counsel to get to the bottom of the Bidens. And all that. And after you see how the Biden, Hunter Biden got a special deal and you say to yourself, well, Hunter Biden got a special deal. And Trump didn't and Trump's going to get to the bottom of all that. You kind of like that, right? It's not revenge only. Well, and here's Trump playing to this feeling about a candidate. He released in the last 24 hours his plan and his plan to unilaterally cut government excuse me, cut government spending. And so it, the, fra- the, the, the term is called impoundment, impoundment, where the executive, the president, the person with the executive authority says, I am not going to spend the money, even though you said I could. And so he, uh, he actually, there is an act, there is an act called the Impoundment Control Act, which was passed in 1974. I believe it was passed, uh, I know it was passed after uh, or in the face of Nixon and the, and the Congress was wanting to limit Nixon. But the point here is, they argue, the argument is that uh, the executive must do what the, the Congress says 
if in fact he signs the bill and makes it a law or is overridden. And Trump's point is, no, there's a there's a tradition of impoundment where you say, I'm the one who has to execute these laws. It's my judgment that it can't be done well. Imagine, for example, if the Congress said we should aid a foreign country to the tune of ten billion dollars. And then by the time the money gets given to the to the, the authorization is given, the law is signed. The president of the United States looks and says, wait a second, there was a there was a coup and the leadership of that country is, is rotten. I'm not going to spend that. Well, that's kind of what Trump did with the Ukraine and was accused of breaking the law. Remember, he said to Ukraine, you're not going to I'm going to hold back some of the money if you don't uh, do what I want. By the way, it's the exact same thing that Joe Biden did. He was vice president. He sat there and said, if you don't fire that attorney general, I won't release the money. So Trump was doing the exact same thing. He almost got he well, he got impeached over. It. He almost got removed from office. His point, though, in this video he did in this release of a policy position is he's going to impound the money. He's going to say to every agency and every department, we are cutting back on our spending. It's out of control. And he says Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid have to be protected, but you've got to cut everything else. It's a very interesting argument. It's an interesting argument in two ways. One, um, it, it sets up the idea of how does government exactly work? You know, is is the Department of Justice, is the FBI independent from the executive? How can that be? How can you have an elected official whose job is to oversee all of the executive branch, including DOJ and FBI, but they're not able to be over FBI and DOJ, really? How, how can this be? So it sets up a constitutional argument. If you are, if money, if you, if you're the one that is charged with using your judgment to decide how to spend the money that, Hey, I can't send money over here. It's corrupt. It's broken. It's not doing what it says. And you use bad judgment. Isn't the answer to remove the person politically, not to somehow say they never had the authority. The second thing is it sets up a political uh, prism or a viewpoint where the public can see, Hey, that guy is saying he's going to do this in this way. And, and the objection is coming from the deep state coming from the forces that say, Oh no, 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 no. You got to spend more money. Oh no, 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 no. You got to spend more money. Oh no, no, no. You got to expand government. Oh no, no. It just sets up a very interesting dynamic, very typical of Trump. Remember where he said recently, he was talking about education. He said when he's president, he's going to direct his Department of Education to encourage and to incentivize states and local communities to elect their superintendents, not just their school boards. Now, I don't know if anybody ever thought of that, but it's a fantastic thing that uh, is brought up in a way that makes it so you're like, what? How, how, how would you handle that? Right. And how, so Trump has this freedom as a candidate because he was president, he knows the job. Now he's a candidate and he can say, hey, look, I've got one shot. Put me in there. I'll do this and this and this. It's a really attractive uh, set of conditions that allow him to uh, to make these proposals. And on impoundment, I think a lot of the American people will say, yep, I'm for it. And when the Congress and the courts and the bureaucrats object, the American people will be like, um, I'm, I'm for it even more. I'm for it even more. So 
The uh, Anyway, very good one. I like it a lot. Impoundment. Check it out. All right. Uh, we will take a break and come back. We'll wrap things up. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. In a moment, uh, we will talk. Uh, I want to wrap things up by um, uh, talking to you about uh, Marco Polo. Marco Polo, not the game in the pool in the summer, but the nonprofit research outfit that has done some great things on the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, we'll talk about all that in a moment. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, I, I did um, I did the Collegians event, Phyllis Schlafly Collegians. We had congressmen. We had uh, high-ranking elected officials from the, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, serving high-ranking former officials from the Department of Justice. We had authors and uh, creators, all kinds of people. Very cool event. One of the guys that stole the show for me was my friend Garrett Ziegler. Garrett Ziegler is a young man, uh, a young man in a hurry, as they say, somebody who graduated college and within um, a year or so was working in the White House for Peter Navarro. And um, one of the things that he did when he left service in the government was he started a uh, a um, kind of a research outfit called Marco Polo. Marco Polo and Marco Polo. One of the things they've done extraordinarily is go through the um, uh, laptop, the Biden laptop and uh, and go through it and 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 really create a record of what's gone on. And it's tedious, tedious work. It goes on forever. It's unbelievable. It's uh, thousands and thousands of emails. I think it's a yeah, there it is. One hundred and twenty eight thousand emails uh, from the Biden laptop tens of thousands of photographs, all this on the laptop, they've gone through and collated it. They've gone through and, and did search engines. So you can look and see exactly what's going on uh, on the website, Biden laptop emails.com Biden laptop emails.com. There are uh, the 128,000 uh, emails and it is in a searchable database. And this is what Garrett writes. Prior to the discovery of the Rosetta Stone, a number of ancient languages were mere gibberish and hash marks. And so he says, the Biden laptop is a modern Rosetta Stone of white and blue collar crime under the patina of the Delaware Way. It's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. I don't know. Here's what I predict will happen. I predict that um, Biden will end up being disgraced, Joe Biden, um, and but they will ignore and they will look past all of this stuff. They will try to say, well, he, he was old and doddering and it was a, a terrible thing or all that. And they will never, ever actually give credibility to what they found. Here's the hard part for the, the Biden supporters who want to gloss over this. It now exists. I, t- I think I told you about the Biden laptop, the, uh, a book that Garrett Ziegler and Marco Polo have published. It's uh, hundreds of pages. It's a self-published book. It's got it all laid out there. It's actually so dense. It's not easy to digest. You have to sort of pick and choose and, and sort of work through it. But it's very, very good. And it exists. In other words, you can't write the history of this period and wipe that out. It's now been published thousands of copies of the book online. There's these emails that have been downloaded and the photographs that have been downloaded. It's Biden laptop emails dot com, Biden laptop emails dot com. And then it's Biden laptop media 
is the other site. That's to get to the, uh, the all the videos and all the uh, photographs of the uh, of the Biden laptop. So BidenLaptopMedia.com, BidenLaptopEmails.com, and uh, all that stuff is there. It's extraordinary. Uh, let me make sure to plug Marco Polo USA. MarcoPoloUSA.org is the uh, nonprofit. I should have said that. It's, it's a nonprofit research group that is exposing corruptions, corruption and blackmail. Um, and it's uh, Garrett Ziegler is the founder. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. One kid. One kid. I mean, he's a kid still. He's 26, 27, maybe 28. And he's just doing this work to expose what's gone on, to make clear what exactly has happened. It makes you think that this is the future of both journalism you know james o'keefe type journalism in this case o'keefe is kind of uh james o'keefe and the, and previously the veritas uh um efforts have been kind of uh, what hidden camera and kind of gotcha kind of uh investigative journalism trying to get to the bottom this is research this is what maybe you'd call it opposition research but it's exhaustive it's tied to the actual primary source so it's not speculative. It's not, I think Joe Biden got money from his son. No, here's a text from Joe Biden's son or an email from Joe Biden's son to Joe Biden. Here's a better, more likely an email from Joe Biden's son to a set of people where he says, this is how we have to have it. We got to have the money like this. It's got to go these places because it's got to go to the big guy, the big guy. So by the way, in my family, the big guy has always been my dad. I can even picture my mom calling him the big guy. I mean, there's no, there's nobody else you call the big guy in a family, especially that kind of, uh, I don't know, background. It seems really obvious, but, but my back to my point, this may be the future of journalism and the future of research and the future of history, because you won't be able to write the history of Biden without running into this on the internet. Now, it does bring up a point, as I've told you before, my obsession with the idea that what happens if everything crashes, you got to have the things you need in paper. I've been called a paper prepper, paper prepper. Um, and so what do you do here? Like if the history, like say the world goes real sort of uh, dystopian or imagine use your dystopian glasses and look forward and say there's like chaos and the world collapses. Where does the Biden laptop uh, documentation end up if the Internet crashes? I guess I don't know. But for now, <laughs> envisioning the future, hard to picture that history that will be written is not going to have to include the presence of the Biden laptops and the Biden laptop media and all that stuff. Pretty extraordinary. Great service. Garrett Ziegler, really cool dude. Let me say it again. It's uh, the websites to go to are marcopolousa.org, marcopolousa.org, and the bidenlaptopmedia.com, bidenlaptopmedia.com, as well as bidenlaptopemails.com. I'll put them all up on social media, and uh, it's important uh, stuff. So thank you to Garrett Ziegler for coming on our our, uh, Collegians event. Also, his story is a good one because... He is uh, such a kid. He came out of uh, college and made a difference really quick in his life. Um, So uh, thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our producer, Ryan Hyde, associate producer. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.